0: Hi ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. So ladies, yesterday we did a review of where we are on the timeline of the life of the nation of Israel. They have been in exile for 70 years, and now with God's divine leadership, Cyrus, king of Persia, has issued a decree for the Jews to go back to their homeland. We see in chapter 1 that fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all of the leaders with all of the people whose spirit God raised up to go went, and King Cyrus also gave them goods in order to build the temple. Plus, some of the things that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Jerusalem temple when he did the exile. There was even a prince of Judah, Sheshbazar, who went to Jerusalem with this first return. Chapter 2 gives a list of people. Some are listed by family, and some are listed by residents of the city, such as Bethlehem, verse 21, and Bethel, or Bethel and I, which is verse 28, and these two cities were technically located in the northern ten tribes of Israel. Now, because they would also be receiving their homeland again, they had to prove their genealogy, especially those that were Levites, because only Levites, who were descendants of Aaron, could serve as priests. The first return of exiles to Judah happened around 536 BC. The first order of business after returning was to set up and build the altar of the God of Israel as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Chapter 3 verse 2. They observed the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the celebration of remembering the Israelites' wanderings in the wilderness and how God provided for them. Now, in the second year of returning, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, these names, by the way, are listed in Matthew chapter 1 verse 12 with the line of Jesus' birth. So, in other words, Zerubbabel was from the line of King David. They are spelled a little differently, probably because the Old Testament is mainly written in Hebrew and the New Testament is mainly written in Greek. Well, Zerubbabel and the men began to build the foundation of the temple of the Lord. When the foundation was done, the priests got out their holy garb and the Levites and they brought forth all of the musicians as King David had commanded. And they all sang as one voice and give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love and his mercy endureth forever. There was great shouting and rejoicing and praise. In verse 12 of chapter 3, it says that many of the priests, Levites, fathers, and chiefs, all of the old people who had seen Solomon's temple, wept with a loud voice. That was probably because they remembered it in all of its glory when King Solomon had built it. Then verse 13 says that the noise was so great that it was heard afar off and it was all mixed together, the praising with the weeping. When the non-Jewish people who lived in the old Israel, the northern 10 tribes, which now that whole land is now called Samaria with the capital of Samaria, When they heard the temple was being rebuilt, they came to Zerubbabel and said, let us help. Now chapter 4 verse 1 calls these men the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. So their intent was not to help. Verse 2 references 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 24 and the verses following. If you remember... When the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken into exile to Assyria, the Assyrian king filled the northern land with people from other nations, such as Babylon. The Lord sent lions into the land because the people did not fear the Lord. So they requested to have a priest in order to understand the ways of this God. So the king of Assyria sent one of the priests to Bethel or Bethel, And taught them how to fear the Lord. Then these people did that, but they also did what the Israelites did syncretism. They worshiped the God of Israel as well as their gods, too. Zerubbabel and the leaders refused their help because they believed it needed to be Jews who built the temple. These people then did everything they could to stop the building of the temple. They caused trouble and sabotaged the work. They hired people to trouble and frustrate them. They even wrote a letter to the new king of Persia saying that once the temple is built, the Jews will rebel. And this letter was written in Aramaic, which was the language of the king of Persia. So some of the Old Testament is written in Aramaic. When the king reviewed the history of Judah, he did see rebellion of the previous kings of Judah. So the king of Persia sent word to stop the rebuilding until further study. And a decree was made by the king. Well, as soon as the enemies of Judah got word from the king, they forced the Jews to stop building. Well, two prophets came on the scene, Haggai and Zechariah, who prophesied to the people. This was around 520 BC, so about 15 years of no work on the temple. People just focused on rebuilding their homes. We will read in Haggai chapter 1, which is later on in the Minor Prophets, that his words reprimanded the people who now live in nice homes, but the Lord's house is still in ruins. Remember, it was the Lord's house that Cyrus had ordered them to rebuild. So Zerubbabel took courage, and Jeshua and the prophets of God began to rebuild. Now Darius was king of Persia at this time. The enemies of Judah came and said, Who said to rebuild, and what are your names? And Zerubbabel and the men answered, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And it is by Cyrus, king of Persia's edict that started this and Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation. So please, king, look into your records and check to see if we are telling the truth. Well, Darius found the records and he affirmed that they should keep on building. And then he even said, that they may offer sweet sacrifices unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. So with the prophets Haggai and Zechariah's help, the work was completed and the temple was built around 516 BC. They gave offerings and honored and kept the Passover. In verse 21 of chapter 6, Ezra points out that the children of Israel and all that had separated themselves from the filthiness of the heathen of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel did eat and participate in the Passover. If you remember from our studies of the Old Testament, God brought forth people from other religions like Ruth the Moabitess. And as long as they were willing to turn away from their old gods and follow the God of Israel, then they were allowed to come into the fold. Now in a book called Hope for All the Earth by Mitchell L. Chase, he says, But there is no report of glory filling the rebuilt temple in the days of Zerubbabel. The Israelites did not reinstall the Ark of the Covenant into the rebuilding of the temple. Now he thinks the Babylonians carried it out of Jerusalem's temple and took it to Babylon and it was never recovered. The Bible does not specifically say that the Ark was included in King Nebuchadnezzar's plunder of the temple. Isaiah 39 verse 6 does allude to this as well by saying all of the special things from the temple, but it does not say it specifically. Some believe that King Josiah, after realizing that Jerusalem would be taken, had the ark hidden possibly in a cave somewhere, and others thought that Jeremiah may have taken the Ark of the Covenant somewhere, possibly in the tunnels under the temple. Truth is, no one knows, and if we needed to know, God would have told us. But what we can gather is that this temple is not quite the same as Solomon's temple. Well, chapters one through six tell us of the first return of exiles to Judah, again around 536 BC, and they were led by Zerubbabel. Now chapters seven through 10 cover the second group of Jews who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, and this group is led by Ezra, and it was around 457 BC. One of Ezra's main points is to record the events and the people of the first and second return of exiles to Judah. And again, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah and Jeremiah, which we looked at in yesterday's lesson. This shows us that the Lord is faithful to his promises. At this time, Artaxerxes is king of Persia, and the king granted Ezra his request to go to Jerusalem with other Jews and Levites. In verse 10 of chapter 7, Ezra is described as a man who had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments This is one of Dr. Betts, my Old Testament professor's favorite verses in the Old Testament. Ezra was also a Levite and priest from the line of Aaron, and he was a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, verse 12. The king also sent goods with Ezra and his people. Chapter 8, like chapter 2, gives us the names and the amount of people that went back to Jerusalem. In verse 21 of chapter 8, Ezra leads the people in a fast, in not eating, so that they can seek God's protection. Because in verse 22, we see that Ezra was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers to protect them because he had already told the king that God would fight for those who seek him. And I love that about this verse, because we see his humanity in the midst of his greatness. And we see that again, he's ashamed. So he also is not perfect. Ezra split the people as well as the silver and gold and the vessels that the king of Persia gave them into 12 groups. And they arrived in Jerusalem safely. They also gave offerings unto the Lord, the God of Israel. That was one of the first things they did. Once Ezra was in Jerusalem, the leaders came to him because the Jews had intermarried with non-Jewish, false God-believing women. Even some priests have done this. Ezra was astonished, chapter 9, verse 4, for it was that very sin that brought all of Israel to destruction. At the evening sacrifice, Ezra humbled himself before the Lord. He fell on his knees, he spread out his hands, and he cried out their iniquities. He then said, and now for a little space in time. God has shown us grace because he has left us as a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage for we are slaves yet God has not forsaken us in our bondage. While he was praying before the house of God many Israelites came before him and they wept too. They made a covenant to repent and to remove any people that did not believe in the God of Israel. The book of Ezra ends with the names of the various people who had intermingled with other religions. So what does the book of Ezra teach us? Number one, God is faithful to his word. Number two, the problem is, is that God's people don't know God's word. That is why Ezra made it his life's goal to know God's word, to study it, to embrace it, to obey it, and then to teach it. So where are you on that journey? Do you know the Bible? Are you studying it? Are you digging into it or just skimming through it? Do you embrace it so that you obey it? Are you called by God to teach it? I have heard it said that we should always have someone older than us or more mature in the faith than us in order to mentor us and then we should have someone in our life that's younger or at least younger in the faith in order for us to help mentor them. If we claim to be a Christian May our hearts cry be, do I know the Lord and his word better today than I did a year ago? Where am I with my walk with him? We also see that there is opposition in God's plan for us, and we may be stalled for a time like they were in building of the temple. But in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Philippi, and this is found in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it, or accomplish it, or finish it, or perfect it, until the day of Jesus Christ. That good work begins when we confess our sin to a holy God, and we believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross. Paul also says in Second Corinthians 5 21 that Jesus who knew no sin he was also the perfect son of man. God made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. If we believe that and accept that, that starts the good work and he is then continuing that work, not until we die, but until the day of Christ Jesus when he comes again. My dad's been dead and gone for five years now and his lessons and his life still impact me today. We never know how God is going to use us, and that work can continue after we die. And last, Ezra prayed for revival, and it seems that the Church of America needs to pray this prayer too. And then, let us pray, and then wait and see what God will do. Thanks so much for listening today. And ladies, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who pray and obey. Until next time, bye.